everyone, I'm Pranoti, host of Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials or nanoscience, who tweets from the Real Scientists Nano Twitter account, which is realsci underscore nano. Hi everyone, my name is Pranoti. I am your host of the Under the Microscope podcast series and today we have with us Jared Dillenberger, who is a graduate researcher at the University of Pennsylvania and on the short podcast uh, we spoke about lasagna and pasta and lots of nano sheets and everything. So on the long podcast I'm looking forward to diving deeper with Jared. So let's welcome Jared. Hi Jared, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I am good, not hungry at all after talking about pasta and lasagna. Um, <laughs> you sure will be by the end of this. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, I should probably order some lasagna while we're at it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, get started with understanding uh, your journey in science so far. So please tell us, how did you end up becoming a graduate student at University of Pennsylvania? Sure. So. Um, I think like like a lot of scientists that I've met, um, my interest in science started even when I was a kid. Um, in fact, it was, you know, the interactions I had with my mom asking questions, you know, why does the grass get wet at night? Well, it's due. Um, and these kind of questions I, I constantly asked and I was always very curious about why the world worked in the way that it did. Um, and so as I went into undergraduate at Denison University, it's a little liberal arts school in central Ohio, um, fantastic place. I took a general chemistry course my first year. And in that course, I was just absolutely fascinated by chemistry. The fact that um, we could use chemistry to explain how things are happening in the world just blew my mind open. And I was like, from that moment, I was like, you know what? Yeah, this this is something I want to learn more about. This, this is fascinating. Um, and so I kept taking courses in, in, in undergrad in chemistry, and I got my uh, Bachelor of Science there from Denison University in 2013. And I had applied to grad school um, and I got into Penn State uh, University. Um, and so I went there for the first two years of my, my graduate school. I worked with Dr. Tom Luke, and then he decided to transfer to the University of Pennsylvania here in Philadelphia, where I am now. Um, so I went along with him because I loved the research that he was doing and I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to keep working on that. So I found myself here in, in Philadelphia, the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and here I've been doing a lot of work with uh, layered materials. So these inorganic materials, essentially, that, as I've referenced uh, before, are I like to describe as lasagna, right? Um, and and so there's all these these really cool stacked materials, and I've just been so fascinated by these layered materials ever since I started working with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's awesome. That is so cool. I love the, where does the, why does the grass get wet in the night to now uh, working with nanomaterials and different stacks of nanomaterials. That's wonderful. So, well, yeah. Was, the funny part about that too is um, when I had asked my mom that question originally, and you said, why, why does the grass get wet? And she said, oh, it's due. And me not understanding grammar in the best way. Uh, I was like, oh, sorry, why do the grass feel wet? Um, <laughs> so she, uh, was, uh, but I've gotten better over the years, a little bit. 
That I, I like that, that you went with uh, why do the grass get better and not Mountain Dew or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, that's amazing. So, Jared, um, your, your current research, you spoke a little bit about it in the short podcast. Uh, but what I want to understand from you here is where does this current research of yours fit in this big picture of materials and nanoscience? Because it's quite a broad field. Right. Oh, absolutely. And and I think there are a lot of different intersections within nanoscience, right? So many different fields that come together uh, to explore these materials as far as their applications and where we can use them. Um, but my my particular work, this focus on these um, nanosheets derived from inorganic layered materials, um, is based on not only just the synthesis of these materials and their exfoliation, the production of the nanosheets, but also characterizing the, the properties of these materials and trying to functionalize them and explore the ways that we can actually apply them um, to, to different types of devices, right? So um, obviously I've focused on the fundamental chemistry of these nanosheets um, from exploring things like the transition metal dichalcogenides. Uh, you may have heard something like MOS2 or NBS2 are popular ones. Also tungsten diselenide is another uh, popular transition metal dichalcogenide. Um, but I've also looked at double layered hydroxide materials, which are essentially these, if you think of a lasagna, right? Um, you've got these, these stacked layers um, and each layer is compri comprised of different types of uh, cations, say manganese and, and, uh, and aluminum. And in between all of these, these stacks of layers, you also have different materials like uh, water, carbonate, um, uh, nitrates and, and chlorides that all get mixed into the gallery spaces, right? And so these nanomaterials and the way that we can, we can synthesize them and explore them are really physically unique, right? Because they have these huge lateral dimensions, right? Sometimes on, on the scale of you know, microns across, but uh, the actual thickness of them may only be a few nanometers thick, right? Uh, in the case of like graphene, for example, it's only a single atom thick. Um, and so because of that, and as we know in, in, in nanomaterials, um, when we go down to these nanoscale lengths, we end up finding really unique properties that don't exist in, in the bulk material, for example, in, in these bulk layered materials, right? Um, and so that that truly fascinates me, that, that interesting, uh, division between bulk and nano. Um, and so there are, there are some really cool examples of that. One that I really love to sh share with people is that if you take something like MOS2 and you exfoliate it down into single individual nanosheets, what happens is you go from a bulk black powder, similar to like, you know, what graph, you know, graphite looks like, you can write with it, that kind of stuff. Um, and you end up with these nanosheets that can produce green um, solutions, like in water, you know, aqueous solutions. Um, that have, you know, because of their unique uh, structural and electronic properties of the materials. Um, and something like NBS2, for example, will actually have a red solution. So NBS2, um, it changes that. If you say tungsten um, disulfide, that might have a yellow solution. And so it's really cool to see how these, these different materials on the nano um, have very unique properties from what you might find in the bulk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. Do you, do you have, like, would you be sharing some videos and pictures of the green molybdenum uh, disulfide? Sure, I did not know that. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I don't know how much I should give. I'm actually still working on truly trying to understand why that is. Okay. Um, but, but, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, I have plenty of pictures. You can even find them on my Twitter. 
Um, <laughs> they're so pretty. I have to share them, you know? I was like, look at this, guy, this color. <laughs> it's gorgeous. That sounds so cool that you're basically covering a range of 2D materials and not just focusing on one because I think, what, what year are we in? 22. 10 years, no, 12 years later after the Nobel Prize in 2010. And I think the first graphene paper was 2004, if yes. I remember correctly. So right. uh, 18 years later, there are so many two-dimensional materials and I, it's just right. amazing. Well, uh, and that's the advantage of working with, with, with my current PI, Tom Maloup, because he's actually explored layers of materials since I believe the 80s. So he's really, really wow. well-versed in this stuff. Now, most of them were based in, um, you know, you had like layered perovskite structured materials, as well as um, a lot of these um, clays, right? You know, mineral clays that are, are layered as well. Um, but yeah, so some of these, these newer up and coming materials, and I say up and coming, it's been a decade, but um, there are so many really fascinating applications that are, you know, every single day are coming out, you know, new discoveries on what these materials can do and the potential that they have. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it sounds to me, Jared, that you are involved in a lot of interesting research projects and experiments. Um, this is a tough question. I know this before asking. Uh, if you have to one, uh, pick one research project or experiment that you are most proud of or the most fun or quirky one, uh, could you pick one and explain it to us in simple words in the section we call In Other Words? Sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fascinating question. Um, and, you know, hopefully this answer will satisfy uh, you, but I, when I think about all the research I've done in grad school, really every single project has been fascinating in its own right. You know, different types of materials, the properties that we're trying to explore with them and understand. Um, but perhaps one of the projects that's made me the most excited is not necessarily work that I've done um, in, in the lab at the bench, um, but it's actually a project that I've, uh, it's a volunteer project that I've been working on for the last couple of years um, with a couple of different teams. And so um, it's called Mission Material Science and it's designed for children. And the whole goal of it is basically um, giving children the opportunity to explore the world of material science and, and nano, um, but in kind of the comfort of their own home with experiments that are paced for themselves. Um, so they can, you know, go at their own rate and learn as, as they would like to, rather than, you know, maybe in a classroom where things go at the speed that the, the teacher wants them to go. Um, but this program, Mission Material Science, it's a it's kind of a joint venture between the Merced groups at Penn uh, and Penn State. And yes, those are two different two different places. My grandparents confuse them, though. Um, and, and also in collaboration with the Franklin Institute, which is a science museum that's here in Philadelphia. And, and together with these three groups, we've been basically designing uh, different types of experimental activities that kids age seven to 12 is kind of the target range, can basically explore material science and explore the world, you know, you know, under microscopes in a way that allows them to, you know, in a way that I love to take a look at the, the wider world and say, okay, the way that this world, you know, the way things that work in the world are based on these, you know, deep, chemistry, material science concepts and, and, and teaching them about what those concepts are in a way that they can, they can comfortably learn about it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, obviously, you know, it, childhood development for, for becoming a scientist is critical. Um, that age seven to 12 is really a time when a lot of people decide whether they want to do chemistry or whether they want to do science or not, right? Um, so making sure that children have access to high quality 
science where they can they can do science they can be scientists right you know you don't have to have a degree you don't have to be employed as a scientist to do science i mean it's really important for children to know that right so all these activities are designed to make sure that you know they can be done you know at your home uh, they can be done under ten dollars right so it's easily accessible for all so get socioeconomic backgrounds um, so so this project though in in you know after all this is just makes me so, so excited because um, it's a culmination of what I think is probably the most important work I've actually done in grad school is, is promoting science communication and promoting, um, you know, opportunities for children to explore science in a way that's very comfortable for them, right, at their own mm -hmm. pace um, and, and excite them about it. That is so cool. That is so, so cool. I want to learn more about mission material science. Uh, but maybe on a different uh, sure. video or a different podcast series. Um, uh, I do have one question for you, though. Are these um, kits, so to say, uh, that you have for the uh, children age 7 to 12, um, are these only for uh, the, the regional uh, kid, kiddies, or is it like can also go, uh, can be shipped globally as well? Absolutely. So that's a, I mean, it's a great question. It's one that I know we've been asking as well. So um, the research, so everything is is currently in English now on the website, but I do believe there are plans to try to start, you know, incorporating other languages into this program as well, because obviously that's very important, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I would say it, it is accessible to anyone that has an internet, you know, internet connection, right? So it's all online, missionmaterialscience.com. There's my shameless plug. Um, <laughs> And, Plug and, away. That's what this podcast is for. <laughs> right. It's but it's just and I mean, it really is near and dear to my heart. And we've spent, um, you know, I spent a, a majority of the pandemic, right, actually working on some of this stuff. And and I should point out, this is not just a, it's not just a me thing there. I mean, there are hundreds of scientists that have gone into producing this, this, this website and the content on it. Um, but it really is near and dear to my heart um, because I think the the ultimate goal of it is fundamentally critical to you know, getting science out there and getting people excited, especially children excited about science and the prospects that it can bring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is so cool. That is so very cool. So missionmaterialscience.com. We'll add a link in the description as well awesome. so people can access it. Um, excellent. So, uh, uh, Jared, it's, it's very clear to me uh, that you are very much interested in doing the research and also science communication and bringing science to the kids and to the general public as well, probably. Um, but that is like, those are just few aspects of being a scientist. Uh, and my question to you is, uh, what else do you like or enjoy uh, about being a scientist other than the research? Uh, in the lab itself, which is also fun, but <laughs> no, of course, of course, that's I, I very much love doing research. Um, but yeah, this is a great question because, um, and I think I alluded to this actually a bit earlier in the talk. This idea of of being able to understand the world in a more detailed way, being able to look at things and not just see, you know, oh, that's what's happening, but actually to know why that's happening, um, and that's always been something important to me. So. As a scientist, I think the thing that I really like outside of the research is just being able to look at the world with um, a perspective that, you know, maybe not everyone has, right? Being able to, for example, uh, even something as simple as, as washing your hands, soap, right? The molecules in soap are so specifically designed to be able to work with both water and with dirt so that you can actually, they, the molecules can actually trap the dirt in a bubble, if you will, um, and then 
wash it away with water. Um, and so understanding these little things just really is, is fantastic to me to know, you know, this isn't just what's happening, but this is why it's happening. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there are other examples too. I, I always like to point out the one with uh, butterflies. So the wings of butterflies, beautiful iridescence, right? You know, these lovely colors, you know, say the monarchs or even the luna moth, right? Just beautiful colors. Um, but if you take a scanning electron microscope, which basically you can look really, really far down into the, the detail of these wings, you'll find out there's actually a nanostructure built into their wings that allows for that color um, to basically come out. So it's a type of false color, in fact, um, so that as, as wavelengths of light come in, uh, they get bounced around. Some of them come back out and some of them don't. And the ones that come back out are the colors that we see on that wing. And, and, you know, it's one thing to look at a butterfly and be like, wow, how beautiful, right? You know, just the fundamental beauty of it. But then also knowing the beauty of the nanoscience behind why you're seeing that just, to me, is just the most fascinating part of, of being a scientist, right? And mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's just being able to appreciate a little bit more the complexity of the everyday little things. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's such a nice way of putting it. That is so cool. I love that. I, I agree with you. This is also something that I really enjoyed um, in my past life as a scientist. Um, it was so cool. And okay, so Jared, now I want to know from you. Uh, so there are two ways uh, you can uh, you can answer this question. One way could be if you were to go back in time and start your scientific journey today. Uh, what advice would you give yourself or what advice do you have for uh, kids who are starting out today? That, that is a really interesting question. Well, I imagine that the advice I'd give to myself would be the same that I would give to anyone else that's studying. I hope so. Now, right? <laughs> um, and in fact, it's probably the advice I tell myself every day when I wake up, which is um, that, that this idea that just expose yourself to lots of new things because you never know um, when you're going to interact with something new, something different, some some type, of, whether it be science, art, anything, that's just going to open up your mind to a zone of genius that you didn't know existed in you. Um, so, so what I would say to you know scientists starting out is is keep your mind very very broad, right? You can focus on you know diving deep into something if you want, but be open to all of the you know potential different things. Um, that are out there. Um, one way that I try to do that is I always try to attend different types of seminars and lectures that are offered by my university in fields that I don't study, right? You know, whether that be history, psychology, business, because you never know. It's I always find it's right at that intersection of two very different things that you find fantastic innovation occurring. Um, so yeah, for for new scientists, focus on on getting a broad exposure to all of the all of the things out there because you never know. Um, what you're gonna what you're gonna find and what you're gonna end up loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good piece of advice. Um, Jared, it sounds to me from our conversation so far that your scientific experience, uh, your research experience, has been wonderful, and I hope it will continue to be wonderful. Uh, however, if you had three wishes, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here. <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think three wishes. Well, the first one um, would definitely, I, so I have spent a lot of time in the research lab, right? Um, but I've always been fascinated by how to take the research out of the lab and kind of into the business realm of things. Um, so I wish that I would have the opportunity to do some type of internship with maybe even like a startup company 
um, to kind of explore what it's like to, to not only you know, be doing research in that environment, but also how to take that research, not just you know, from the bench, but actually put it into maybe a product or, or, or get it out to the larger community as some type of commercialization. So I wish that I could have the opportunity to, to try that out to see you know, if I'd like it. Like the advice I gave before, you, know, you never know what you're gonna like until you try it. So um, I think that would be that would be really cool um, mm -hmm. to explore it in a non-academic setting and explore science. Right. Um, I think something else that would be really cool that I have not done enough on would be exploring the history of science. Um, I've read a lot of books on it, and, I, and it's always very fast, fascinating. But um, you know, obviously, we spend a lot of time, you know, the, the new next best thing and what's what's in the news today on science, but. Um, it's really cool looking back at how people have discovered things, especially, you know, 100, 200, even 300 years ago, um, you know, the methods that scientists were using to discover things, you know, the discovery of argon, for example, like, you know, up until that point, they're like, oh, we know what's in the atmosphere. It's nitrogen, some, some, some fixed air, that's carbon dioxide, a little bit of oxygen, that's it. And then suddenly someone's like, well, well wait a second, actually, you know, there's argon there too, you know, and so these discoveries are really cool because of the fundamental aspect of science that's necessary to make them. So I, I, I do wish too, I could uh, learn a bit more about that, but you know, grad school's busy. So you only have so much time in the day. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for the last one, just so, so we're clear, um, I, I want to do more opportunities for obviously getting children involved in science. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's clear by now, but that fundamentally is something that I'm super passionate about. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So all three wishes of yours, honestly, I why did I say I can't promise anything here? Because all three wishes of yours can come true, and I'm pretty sure they will come true, uh, come true uh, working in a non-academic setting, uh, doing research, history of science. That is really fascinating. Fascinating. Do let's talk more about that uh, later yeah. on. And um, also the third wish, it's, it's just... Uh, Absolutely. I hope all three wishes of yours do come uh, come true. Uh, Jared, I enjoyed our conversation a lot. I learned a lot and I want to collaborate with you more often uh, in the future. Uh, but before I let you go, mm -hmm. I have one last question for you. And we cannot record in 2022. Uh, can't believe I'm still saying this. Uh, started with 2020, then 2021, and now 2022. Um, what are your learnings from the times that we are living in for the past, let's say, over two years? Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and obviously everyone has, has been through some similar situations. The pandemic has certainly not been the most enjoyable event. Mm -hmm. um, I think so this is actually really interesting and I'm still, to be honest, kind of formulating my own thoughts about it, but I'm, I'm happy to share it here. You know, maybe somebody who's listening will have their own thoughts. Feel free to contact me. Um, but, but it's this idea of when the pandemic started, we all kind of rushed back to our homes, right? And we lost a lot of things. But one of the things that we lost in science was this idea of social serendipity, which I would describe as basically the random casual interactions that you have with other scientists and maybe even non-scientists, um, you know, totally unplanned, right? You know, maybe you're walking down the hallway and you see a colleague and you just start chatting or you're at the bar and you talk to somebody next to you. Um, these type of interactions happen all the time, and especially you know pre-pandemic. And when the pandemic happened, they stopped. And I'm of the opinion that while big conferences and publishing papers and giving seminars obviously has its place and a very important formal place in science communication, 
that these little spontaneous moments actually play a critical role in how science is, is, is propagated, how science discovery is made, right? I talked about the intersection of, you know, different ideas coming together and that's where innovation happens. So, you know, as, the, as we're slowly coming out of the pandemic and people are starting to mingle a bit more again, um, I'm trying to stay a little focused on what those interactions look like, you know, for discussing um, science, you know, where, where are grand discoveries happening that started with someone at a water cooler saying, hey, you know, you mentioned something, here's an idea, right? And, and I, think, I think there's a lot more crucial science uh, that is happening in these spontaneous serendipitous moments than some of us have, you know, really put credit towards. Mm-hmm. So I'd say to kind of end off, if, if you're thinking about this, um, and as, as hopefully the pandemic is waning, um, when you're having these fun little random moments, beginning of a seminar, you're talking to the guy next to you, or um, somebody's mentioning something in, in, in the lunch, um, think about how these moments might actually be playing a really important role in how science is, is growing and progressing and how we're sharing innovative ideas in non-formal settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really an interesting observation. You're absolutely right. Um, because I feel like a lot of uh, interesting discussions and collaborations at conferences or seminars happen at the coffee tables or at the dinner tables or uh, drinks after dinner uh, sort of setting. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, Yeah. that is very, very important. Uh, so thank you very much, Jared. It was wonderful to speak with you. Looking forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Right back at you. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for listening. This is Pranoti, host of Under the Microscope. To know more about us, visit our website, thesciencetalk.com and follow us on Twitter at realsci underscore nano.